0: Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is Eitan. Hello, Eitan. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Carl?
0: I'm doing okay. We just spent about half an hour trying to disentangle how we were going to do a Disney trip in a week, so or two weeks, so very happy about that. Much less happy about how complicated every single edge case of writing any ride in this park is now, but it's all right.
1: I'm, I'm so excited to be going through it with you and then see how we do with life. I'm curious if we're going to have like very similar styles and very similar opinions. If we're going to have different opinions, but the other one is going to have great insight that the other one didn't, or we're just going to have different opinions. And
0: it's going to be like, we have to agree to disagree and it's going to (laughs) suck. Yeah. So, okay. Just for posterity here. We are going on this trip with, so there's six of us. How many people are like Disney parks virgins?
1: Uh, That have never been to any Disney park?
0: Yes. Or at least as an adult.
1: At least two. Yeah.
0: I think at least two. Okay. So we're trying to make this normal. Uh, I'm doing an extra day at the Magic Kingdom. We are doing Hollywood Studios and Epcot. And I already told Aton that I have half a day planned already of animatronic shows. That's not going to fly <laughs> with people that are not Aton and I. So I'm really excited, interested to see what you and I are optimizing for with respect to that. But we're also going because it's your bachelor party. So you also have an outsized impact here. So... For example, are we doing Journey into Imagination? Like, how deep are we going
1: here? We're 100% doing Journey into Imagination because even though people are so nice and are like, hey, is yeah. your thing you're going to choose, I'm truly very excited to show things to people. So the reason totally. why I want to do Journeys is not necessarily because I would do it if I was going to go there, because I feel like we're going to be able to tell them so much about these things and be like, okay, forget about the ride for a second. This is the story. There was this character, the Dream Finder. And there was this thing, and then they took it out, and then they did it again. But it was already a shell, and this is what it is. And people hate it. But also people love it
0: and be able to Should talk about this. we just start a Patreon things? where you and I go on trips, Disney trips with people? And it just is a podcast for the entire day, essentially? Because that's essentially what you're describing right now.
1: And who pays? The people that want to come on the The on people the that want to come. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Pay us and pay for our tickets. So it's I like mean, a bespoke experience, but
1: sounds like a scam for anyone
0: that wants to pay and great <laughs> for us. But I wonder if there are any like underground Disney tours out there, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, on, like, media that's a experiences great point, or whatever, and look, you know,
1: like, yeah. like an Airbnb experience, sure,
0: exactly. We could do that, yeah.
1: that would be funny, but yeah, no, I'm thinking like that. But I think the good part is we're going to Hollywood Studios and Epcot, which are well, with a group because and these also are parks that don't have that many rides so i think it's going to be easier for you and i to be like okay it's this time there is these two options for um you know rides let's do that one and then we can hang eat something drink something as opposed to the magic kingdom where as you'll see especially if you go for like half a day well you you know what you want to do but it does get into a point where it's like i have seven fast pass options and you need to start deciding life of like, ooh, I wanna I'm gonna get this ride that I don't really wanna do, but because yeah. the fast pass is now, and then I can tap and get another one. Which is not really gonna happen to us. It's mostly gonna be in two hour increments and it's gonna be okay. So Especially think-
0: with Epcot where you just kind of load balance and one part of your day is rides because the rest of the park really isn't rides. Like in geographically it's such a massive annoying park to get around that you kind of have to do that in some way. So, yeah, I think it's totally doable. It's not like trying to get everyone on every classic Disney ride at Magic Kingdom in one day, which would be, you know, I never thought about that. But that would be a lot harder than any of the other parks.
1: Last time I went to Magic Kingdom with Ariella, it was like 8 p.m. And we were sitting outside and um, be our guest, the restaurant to go in mm-hmm. to see the Beast. Um I have a car uh, signed by the Beast on my fridge, by the way from that dinner oh. um and we were just looking at the list of the stuff we were, we still wanted to do not even the things we had left but just the thing we wanted to and we were just like this is insane it was the last day of our trip it was the last time of the day and there was still like four hours for the park to be like we want to do winnie pooh and little mermaid and like this you know okay dark rides." and we were like nope We're going to get dinner, we're going to take two hours to have dinner, to get very slow, and then head home.
0: I, yeah, I cannot believe I'm trying to do Magic Kingdom in not a full day, so it's going to be heartbreaking, but we'll see. I guess this is probably just what our episode next week's going to be, as we're getting closer to the date, because, yeah, we could go on for two hours about this. Okay, yeah. So let's get on track with the episode. Uh, you wanted to talk about, what did you say, the WAG strike, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I told Carl, I was like, yeah, I want to talk about the WAG strike. And I just saw him very confused. I'm like, why is he so confused? turns out that the WAG Wag is a startup for dog seating. And what I meant was the WGA, so the Writer's Guild of America.
0: <laughs> is yeah. this one of your, like, feel your feel strings or pull your feel strings moments where, like, it's, is it uh, the WGA in Spanish or is it just you?
1: I guess right. not even in Spanish. I was just going to say it is one of those things that my neurons were probably connected faster to wag. And I just didn't, I don't stop to think about if that is right or wrong. Totally. And I just say it. So, but yeah, just to follow up to last week, um, I listened this week and I wanted to recommend to everyone um, an interview between Matt Bellany who manages the town podcast as part of the Ringer, he's a writer for Puck, um, and he interviewed Mike Sure, who, of course, uh, you know, creator of Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, Good Place, The Good Place, roller for Falls, He was he started as a writer and then became executive producer for The Office, but very very kind of famous writer, big deal with NBC. I don't know if he still has to deal with NBC, but anyway, one of these very famous comedic writers, but he's also in the negotiating uh, committee for the WGA, trying to work with um, with the studios. And there were just a couple of things that he talked about that I thought were just very interesting. One of them was something that you talked a little bit about last time, which was kind of how the writers usually play this role of like showrunners. Mm -hmm. And you also sometimes evolve to be executive producers of so many of these shows. And he talked about how something that has been very important with some of these bigger writer rooms over the last 100 years has been kind of this natural thing where the studios don't have to do anything, but how they teach each other how to do things. So he tells the story of how Greg Daniels, who is the creator of The Office, mm-hmm. hired him, B.J. Novak, and Mindy Kaling to be junior writers in The Office. And they had never, like, they had read, some of them had were in Saturday Night Live, but they, they had never been in a sitcom, you know, in a network sitcom. They don't know what it was like taping. They don't know what it was like, have different takes, give uh, give more guidance to actors. And he starts even going to things like being involved with, like, editing. Like, after, wow. you know, as a writer, when you're thinking about how do you manage timing and, and the, the flow sense. of a show, right? And he talks about all of these things, and he says, everything that I learned, I didn't learn it because there was a studio, you know, Mm-hmm. clinic that happened twice a year. like there was a, a relatively large write room and Greg Daniels told everything to me and then when I went to do personal recreation I had these people under me even though I didn't know everything and now I'm at a point where everything that I'm trying to do is around this right if, I, if someone that is very experienced comes and needs my help maybe I'm just gonna help like maybe giving them notes on the s- scripts but he talks about this new show that he's doing for Amazon called Primo from, with Shea Serrano do you okay. know Shea Serrano? Yes, I do. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Great. He used to write for The Ringer, for everyone who doesn't know. Like, kind of pop culture. He has a couple of books. Great Twitter follow. But Shea had never written for TV. So he reaches out to this guy. He's like, I love this. I'm how? What do you need help with? And when he's like, oh, well, I've never run a show. He's like, okay, I'll be in the writer room every day. Like, helping okay. you and other people and getting you to up to speed. But if it's, of course, somebody else, they, they might not do something different. So that was just something that it was just interesting that we didn't touch on last week and learning about the writing ways and learnings. And um, it was just one of those. Um, it helped clarify also a lot of those things that, like we talked last week, might not be open uh, front and center in the news that we read, but that tend to be very, very important. Right? This this goes to what you were saying that the studios are going more into like these mini writer rooms or asking them to write something in two Mm -hmm. weeks and then not be not participate anymore or even not being in set. And I just came back to last week also just thinking of you and I are believers in like the free market, but we're also very much believers in like the free market has significant flaws that need to be managed in certain ways so that they happen, right? And when I think about these types of things, specifically when I was hearing to him, as like someone who has never been part of some of these productions, of course, but, you know, we talk a lot about this, put yourself in the shoes of maybe the studios and executives. You Do you, would we believe there is an expectation from them that content is not going to struggle? if they move away from this? Like, at the end of the day, there has to be something of, if we continue down this path, we're able to maintain quality, or quality is going to suffer a limited sense as opposed to what we're going to win? Is is that where the buck stops in this negotiation? Where their bad night is like, eh, it's still going to be okay? No.
0: So, I, you're getting at the fundamental question of Hollywood, right? Like, there is always this tension between the massive amounts of capital that it takes to make even the worst reality show that is unscripted and, and shot on on an iPhone, right, all exactly. the way up to Oppenheimer. Like, it requires so much money, so many people, so such complex infrastructures to make this happen, that you really always have this really pronounced... Contrast and tension between commerce and artfulness. And this is a conversation everyone always has, right? Like we were probably having we were having this in the 90s with like, I don't know, always on cable TV, too much stuff to watch. We started having this in the DVD era because people would just pump out made-for-dvd movies all the time. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter because, like, I don't know, like finding um the, the Peter Pan 2s or the Jungle Book 2s of the world. Like, these were <laughs> artless things made for money. And that that's where we're at now. But what I think is existentially scary here is this is the first time that, like, there is a awful worse substitute in some way in, like, the, like, 10, 20-year horizon for some of the most bare-bones, low-level learn-how-to-write-in-a-writer's-room writing jobs, right? Like, I was listening um, to Blank Check a few weeks ago and Nia DaCosta was on, um, the director of The Marvels and uh, and Candyman recently. And she was talking about working as a producer, like a line producer on a reality show, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is somebody who, she's a major emerging director and she started in like the worst possible artless role, right? But the problem is with... This gig economy that we've created with this AI driven marketplace that we might create, you end up destroying those entry level jobs. And that's what we're seeing all across like the American economy, too, is we're we finally come up with substitutes for what we wouldn't call creativity, but we would call like generative content. Right. Sure. And that's where we're at. So it is scary. I'm really excited to hear that Schur was thinking about this and is on is one of these people that I'm worried about, right, with the overall deals that might have economic incentives that work against it, against him negotiating in, in good faith. So I'm glad that he's putting his money where his mouth is, right? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting, I don't know, set of points to bring up.
1: Yeah. The other point that I wanted to catch up with you on was the... Um, he talks about how in these negotiations are always so interesting because the writers you and i have said are negotiating against quote unquote the studios mm-hmm. in which sense they are literally negotiating against all the studios which once every seven to ten years get together into this virtually made up trade association of studios where they have to decide together what are what is the deal that they're going to sign with uh, with the writers just like they do for the producers and the actors and whatever and he talks about Matt asking a great question, which was like, "How do you think the the power dynamic is in that room?" Because of course he's not at the level of like a Tim Cook or a well, I guess not Jeff Bezos anymore. But you have this discrepancy in the studios and their economics and how they make money and how important this is to them. Like we've always talked about, which makes yeah. it interesting, right? You have the um, the Warner Brothers of the world, which all they do is content and is the only thing that they do. And then the example that he is, he's like, you have Apple who made, you're going to keep me on t- honest, he said 90 billion in profit, in cash? What does 90 billion sound like in Apple? Is that 90 billion in profit a year? That's too high. It's,
0: I mean, it sounds like they're cash reserves, first of
1: okay. all. Okay. Le- Let's say it's cash reserves. It doesn't matter. It's a 90 billion thing. I, a cash reserve sounds wrong. He said, okay. Oh, no, no. I think he said the... He said these the buybacks that Apple has done. And I don't know if it's over the next, last five years, over the last year. It sounds like it actually matters. But just for a second. He's like, if they hadn't given them 90 billion dollars, if they had given 89.6 billion dollars, Apple alone would be able to pay for everything that the writers are asking for. Which is $400 million, right? Total over 10 years. So he's like, if it gets to a point that Apple is like, dude, what the hell? Like, we have this new services thing. Is Cook going to pick up the phone and go to Gun And we're like, guys, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're stopping a full industry for, like, chump change when... Like we talked about last week, right? We, there is just so yeah, so many of these different views and perspectives and things that it moved. But he was just one that I was like, huh, yeah, it's not it's not ninety billion versus eighty billion. It's ninety versus eighty nine point six, and it's just interesting to see. Yeah, the Amazons. and he says, you and you have the Sony's, and then you have the Amazons who give away content so that you can subscribe to get toilet paper in two days. Just like, yeah, something, so. some something someone in one of his shows might say. But um, I like the, I like the
0: comparison. I hear what he's saying there. And he's totally right. If Apple was the norm here, right? But like, let's be honest, Eitan. Of the studios that are negotiating here, how many of them do we think have solvent business models?
1: No, no, I, I get that. Like, I understand that they're not the like norm. But I think when we when we think about market dynamics and even we think about talent dynamics, don't you think there is yeah. also gonna be something where the head of Apple Studios and the head of Amazon Studios, they need to be on the phone with everyone, being like, hey, we don't wanna do this.
0: We're willing really no, to no, you. They, but no, they don't. That's that's what I'm getting at here. I, I see what you're saying, but Jeff Bezos is gonna reach a point with Amazon Studios where he cuts it. Like Jeff Bezos doesn't care about the artfulness. It's it's clear in how he runs his business. And Let's do Apple.
1: Let's do Apple. And don't think about Tim Cook. Let's think of who's the VP of services.
0: Uh, Eddie Q. Is he still there? I don't know. Let's say VP, SVP of services, John Doe at Apple. I'm right. Senior vice president of services. Sorry. I still know my Apple analytics. guy. Great. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes, if it is someone who is responsible for the P&L of that business, you are correct.
1: <laughs> what okay, so let's say him. I'm yeah. driving 20 billion dollars, whatever billion dollars a year. Yeah. Apple TV, very small part. Important part of my ecosystem that I'm trying to build, connected yes. to how I'm able to drive other things, even if it's not the main thing. I'm starting to be I'm trying to build a reputation as being Talent friendly. I'm yeah. having my. I won an Oscar last year. I have a. I have a movie coming out with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Plummons, directed by Martin Scorsese in October. I want people to look at me not as a bad tech company that is destroying how their company is made, but some maybe someone like is willing yeah. to play ball and is willing to see things and where the economics play different. I see an interesting outcome of this. Where unfortunately or fortunately the studios that come out looking good are the studios where it's like sure, yeah, we're we're whatever the WGA minimum is I'm gonna make it up, thirty-five thousand dollars per episode written. Where Apple comes out and is like, yeah, I'm paying forty-five. I I don't know, yeah. like
0: I, I could they're a trade you.
1: association, they're not gonna just go out and be like, hey everyone, we don't agree with anything the trade association is doing. No. But
0: I just, I really struggle with your mental model around Apple, being, uh, basing this whole argument around Apple. I know that you could just change it and be like, Vice President of Content at Paramount, right? Like, you, you could do that. But I think what this creates, though, is further stratification of writing talent. Because an Apple is more of a boutique company. They are spending... They probably have a profitable profit product right now. I mean, they would if they weren't giving it away. True. But assuming I'm assuming they're going to have a pretty healthy LTV to CAC here, right, with these customers. So overall, they're going to buy the best talent, or at least like the B-tier, B-tier talent. Whereas everyone else might not be able to afford that for the volume of content they need to create to keep their businesses running. Because they're not being bolstered by iPhone profits, so or park profits, or uh, utility yeah. profits, right? Like your Viacoms and your Warner Discoveries, your Sonys to a little bit of an extent, your Netflix's. they aren't going to be able to pay pay to play here. I hear what you're probably going to say here about the free market. No, no I'm ever, not even going to but- say that. Okay. I think you're focused on
1: the impact that this has on the writer's stuff, which is fine. I'm just focused yeah. on... What are, the, what are the power dynamics in this trade association made of 12 vastly different companies?
0: Yes. Yeah. And you're right that Apple probably doesn't like. Why did Apple join impact here? Why did Apple join? Totally. I don't
1: know. Like, there might be a reason where it's like, you can only hire WGA writers if you're yeah. a member of this. I don't know. Probably. Probably. But, like, I think. And I'm me- sure, like,
0: uh, Martin Scorsese wants to work only with WGA writers, right? Like, I'm sure, sure. it's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But a then- lot of market. totally again
1: but i still think it's one of those things where we made some math right last last week of some of these things and how much they even they even move the needle you are the vp of market or Viacom or of whoever the amount this is not even going to move the needle on anything
0: you're right but these are the same people that just spent a decade dismantling fundamental economics of Hollywood to make dozens of competing streaming services that saturated the market that can't sustain itself. Like you're right, but Hollywood is not rational in how they do business. This is f- so fun. Like I, I, I totally, I see what you're saying. If this what is was, the,
1: we need to write a case on like the strategy beyond markets of like the game theory of each of these people. And then you know how, the power is how do they vote? This is just me showing my ignorance. This is like a majority. Totally. If, if seven yeah. out of the twelve say
0: yes, we agree it happens. we have to be unanimous. It would be so fun to get like a you know PhD in film history just to like not even to look at the historical context here, but just to be qualified to like research these very specific forces here going on, we need right? To like, invite, like access to the data.
1: Is it Pete Labusa or who is yeah. it? like who is like literally it, that. literally literally that? Yeah. But anyway, it is fascinating. Yeah, that game theory of these things and the market and the power dynamics in those 12 people. And we talked last week, the power dynamics of the WGA with like the top 10 writers probably making like 40% of all the, the top 10, not even percent, the top 10 people making like an incredible percentage of earnings for the writers. I guess they are probably a majority, like a super majority vote to approve a deal.
0: No. And I, I think to your point, too, it, it is interesting just looking at these cultures clash, too, of all these companies, right? Like, you have Disney classic, classical, like, Harvard MBA mm-hmm. strategy people at the table, right? Yeah. You have Apple, where, like, they pride themselves on being different than every tech company and every media company, and their biggest brand bump is from creatives thinking they make the best products for creating, right? You have Jeff Bezos, who doesn't care. And it's just, it's fascinating to to think about being in the room and seeing all of this happen. Versus a Mike Shore and a, I don't know, Shonda Rhimes or or whoever. Like, fascinating to to imagine these rooms.
1: I hope they write a a book. There has to be something that I can find that already
0: exists about the one from 10 years ago or something. Is... Back to Mike Sure for a second. Is he a he's a sports guy, right? Like he likes baseball yeah. or something.
1: He has a know? he has a baseball podcast that it's amazing. I thought so. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: With Shay Serrano, I was like trying to connect the dots there. Uh, he also he wrote his Harvard undergrad thesis on Infinite Jest. He's a massive <laughs> David Foster Wallace fan, which is funny. Um, so a very cool normal uh, dude there, right? Very normal. I, I um, also love. Uh, David Foster Wallace for the record to make myself sound like more of a douchebag but <laughs> great
1: but that's a good that's a good uh, way to transition because I was mentioning that his newest show Primo with Shame is coming up on Freebie which you and I have mentioned before because I found that that's where I'm watching Mad Men which is the evolution of IMDb TV or just uh, Amazon's uh, not only AVO there is even another word right because the free Avoth Able- is there an um, acronym? FABOTH? Uh, f-
0: no, FAST. Is that FAST? Is it FAST? No,
1: FAST Fast is, is like Pluto, the one that has chance. Right, exactly. This is just um, AVOD.
0: There is an acronym for this now, and I, I cannot remember. But anyway,
1: Freebie. Yes. I mean, uh, it's just
0: ad- AVOD. When it's, when it's actually ad-supported, it's AVOD.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Freebie doing, doing a good job. Uh, have you watched Jury
0: Duty? I have not i, I oh my god know about it i mean Holy the uh, one of the, sh- the showrunners was on podcast the ride a few weeks ago so that's where i heard about it and i've seen the james Marsden clip uh about-
1: incredible yeah highly recommend we were in preview because we wanted to see if my mrs mazel was there because we officially don't subscribe to amazon prime anymore wow and we saw jury duty and i realized like oh have you seen this i'm like no, what is this? She's like, it hasn't come up on your TikTok or your YouTube. I'm like, no. She's like, okay, we need to watch this. I've heard it's cool. amazing. And do you know what it's about? I can give. A, I can give. I
0: a, fully. I fully know what it's about, but Share with the the well, audience. We are on a podcast. Yeah.
1: So basically, <laughs> it starts and it says. I just wanted to know if I need to explain to you or just to the imaginary people that are listening right now. Um, it starts with a black screen that says, you know, the American judicial system. It's based on jury on juries of your of your peers and juries are of course very it's a core part of society in the us and it's also very not secretive but right part of the jury there is that you know who jury you, you don't know who the jury is you don't know the names. see if the jury has to be sequestered they don't get access to electronics and it's just something that there is there isn't really a lot documented around them so it says so for the first time we got access as a documentary crew to follow a jury throughout a trial. And then he said, the only difference is everyone is an actor, except this one person, because the trial is fake. So it's, it after that, they don't say it again, that they everyone is an actor. You just see the documentary. And this poor guy, they make him go through like what he thinks is regular jury duty. And one wrinkle is that James Marsden plays himself as this actor that gets asked to go to Jury duty and who wants to get out of it. And things start escalating for the first one or two episodes are just like Arella and I were like loudly lolling. Like there's there's just this <laughs> I'll just give one moment away. In the first episode, they're waiting in the room just before when everyone arrives, right? And people start talking to each other, and they're like, oh, so what is, like, the move? How do you get out of Drew Duty? And the guy that is not an actor says, oh, I, I don't know, I have no idea. The only thing that I know is what I've seen from, like, Family Guy. So, again, all of these actors are kind of improvising. Like, they know which way they have to go, but they need to react to what he says. So he's like, and what do they say on Family Guy? And he's like, I don't know, like, Peter Griffin just says that he's racist, and everyone laughs and it doesn't happen. But then it, at the time of the jury selection, when they ask this guy that asked him, he's like, is there any reason why you think you shouldn't participate in the jury? He says, uh, because I'm racist? And you can just see the camera pan to this one guy who told him that from Family Guy and just go, again, the first <laughs> time that he's in a jury duty and it, it's just great. I highly recommend everyone freebie. You don't even have to sign up. You don't need them to give you your email. You don't need to give them a credit card. Completely free jury duty.
0: Do you, they go to like Margaritaville, right? Don't they go somewhere in the I, city place? I haven't. I haven't gotten there. Okay. Well, they follow yeah, them to their hills, and yeah. I I highly le- recommend you listen to the podcast, the right episode a few weeks ago. It is they go to. They're talking about New Jersey's Bowcraft Park. It's like a bad New Jersey park. Andrew Weinberg, one of the the guys who worked on it, is is in there, and it's really interesting to hear him talk about how like they had to do so much writing to generate just boring legal proceedings to make it sound believably boring. And they had to shoot so many days of footage that were never intended to be used because, first of all, they had to make it seem like a real trial, but they also had to obfuscate that it wasn't a real trial. So for every joke you see in the show, there may be an hour of filler between jokes that they just had to edit out. It just sounds Herculean.
1: Herculean. I, I Ariela really was telling me one of the reasons also why it works is that the judge... He's the father of an actor, and he was actually a judge for 30 years. He retired oh, like two years ago. That's good. And he plays the judge.
0: Uh, it, I just you rate. described this, you it described this Id- idyllic service where you didn't have to provide any email or any, give anything up except for a little bit of your time for ads. Uh, let's talk about like the worst possible version of that. But it's kind of an interesting, the best. Kind, of, kind of the best. It's kind of saying, like It looks like a good tech product, weirdly, but... Yeah, okay. So, it's this guy. Uh, his name is... Oh, I should have pulled this article off. Okay. 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 This is a startup from this guy. His name is Ilya Posen, and it's called Telly, and they give you a free TV with the catch that the TV has a soundbar underneath, which... That's nice. Great. Yeah. Better sound right off the bat. And then a second smaller screen. Like imagine, I don't know, like it's not really a touch bar on a MacBook. It's more like, remember the weird Barnes and Noble nooks that had like a tiny touch screen? That's kind of the vibe it's giving here. Yeah. So it shows additional information. They have like the, the one press image is a football game going on and there's like scores and an interface and like a pizza hut ad going on on the bottom screen it looks nice but that's the catch is you get a free tv 55 in inch they just, tv 55 inch tv looks like a nice tv i'm assuming it's not OLED. um it also so it has a camera and you can do video conferencing and stuff there are two if you wanted which is cool um and you just have to allow them to show ads at all times on the second screen interesting
1: Hella interesting. I mean, the first thing that came to mind—I don't know why where my mind goes—is like Blade Runner, twenty forty-nine. Not necessarily, but even like any futuristic city where ninety-nine percent of the space is ads, right? And part of that, you, when I think about it, is why, right? Is it about consumerism? If it's able evolving to that, but also as someone that works in marketing there is a lot of money in ads. There is a lot of money in customer acquisition and customer retention. And like you mentioned in your beautiful transition with things like Freebie or Nowa TV, there is a lot of, it's 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 starting to come around to, for such a long time, for the last 10 years, they've said like, oh, advertising in the internet is better because it's more tailored to you. But as a customer, you're like, is that good enough? Like, am, am, am I actually getting as much in this exchange of value as I should? And with things like Freebie or other providers, and now with this level of hardware, it's kind of the first time that customers, or a certain, like, you know, people can self-select and say, I'm okay with this, and I'm going to get more tailored ads, and you're going to get even more information from me, but I'm getting uh, $500 TV out of it, and... Is it one of those things that I kind of wish was different? Sure. Is it one of those things that probably requires a complete redevelopment of where marketing is and how capitalism works? Sure. At the same time, uh, customers getting value out of some of these things uh, takes things in an interesting new direction. I like the way you when you mentioned the Nook, the first reminder that I had was... Remember when the Kindles came out, how they had this revolutionary thing where if you got one Kindle with ads, which when you right. turn it off, it the, showed an ad, it was exactly like $20 less? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which I had that um, Kindle, right? It's like, And of course I did. It was like a no-brainer. And I always paid to not have it just because... You have possible
1: income. I get it,
0: Carl. Fine. Oh, yes, I know. I had a whole $20 <laughs> and self-respect. But that actually does feed into this because I'm sitting here thinking like, you know... I could just get this and put it in the guest room, which would be creepy to have a, a ad camera on your guests, but it's a free TV, you know? So it's interesting. I also, like, this is the sort of thing where normally I see something like this, and my gut is, what a stupid flash-in-the-pan idea. And I still kind of think that, right? Like, it has, like, the vibes of, like, the Q-Cat or anything where failed tech product that involved you giving away hardware for free in exchange to, for making money off of services here. It's off of ads, but that's like, does it, do you know about the QCAT? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the, the audience, like the QCAT, uh, it was, it was like when web 1.0, like. Dot com bubble stuff where you got a USB barcode scanner that you could, used to scan ads in magazines basically every subscriber of wired magazine got one for free like i think a lot of them went out through condé nas so people they gave away free hardware and this actually uh corey doctor has a great piece about this where it ended up creating a lot of laws around not being able to exploit hardware yourself even though you own the physical piece of hardware because people just immediately took those And we're like, cool, a free barcode scanner, and everyone figured out how to get around the QCAT system, so you didn't have to pay anything, or they didn't get any revenue for this. Sure. And then on top of it, people were just using it to like take home inventory, right? So that's what I imagine happens here. Is there's there's stuff like definitely not locked down enough that a bunch of people reading The Verge and finding out about this aren't going to be able to like get around this. Like, yeah, the one that came to mind, blanket over the thing, you know, like.
1: I remember, I'm I'm remembering now that we mentioned about the Kindle. The other thing you could buy with the Kindle, I don't know if you remember, is that you could get it with free internet connection everywhere in the world to download books from the Kindle store. Okay. The dream. And remember how you could go around it? The first version that I found that I remember using in like a train in Europe was you had the ability to select a piece of text and tweet it and you could tweet it as a quote. So you could sign up with your Twitter account, you selected something, and then you could go quote. It would allow you to write something and then click tweet. And people realized that if you wrote, if you wrote on the tweet www.google.com and then send the tweet, you could see the tweet and then click Google, and then it would open in the browser. And it was like just like this super basic, but again, web, not, not right, even yeah. 1.0, but like it was 12 years ago. And it was this freaking Kindle that had access to the internet everywhere in the world for free. And anyway, sorry, that was incredible. But going back to Telly. Well,
0: actually, real quick, before we go back to Telly. uh, You have another way.
1: Oh, I thought you had another way of how to jailbreak, but not jailbreak the Kindle.
0: Okay. I mean, this is kind of a weird Kindle thing, though. So Alex just bought a new Kindle. Um, She had one. She ended up. Like misplacing it like a year and a half ago, like I think we just she just like left it on in a in an airplane or something. So she's been wanting another one. She got one, and we were looking at wire cutter to see like okay like which Kindle. T- tell us which Kindle, and 100%. We'll buy it. Yes, and they recommend so the baseline pa- paper white, which has ads, is a hundred and forty dollars. So that's like their baseline that has, like, a touchscreen and a backlight.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay? So, Wirecutter's recommendation is to get the $160 Kindle Paperwhite Kids, which is not at all, like, a lockdown separate device. It is quite literally the exact same device for $20 more, but it includes a two-year break-it-and-will-replace-it warranty, a case that's just a normal case that you can spend $30 on from Amazon and no ads. It's like what, what pricing is this? Come on. <laughs> I
1: remember when I worked at Google and I did uh, some research about this their their Fire tablet. Remember? Not the Kindle, the tablet. There was a kid version. Right, that was such, the- a, such an incredible. It was like the Costco yeah. hot dog. It was like $70. It's exactly what you said. Completely make it or break it. No questions asked. The ad had like a kid pouring a seven liter orange juice thing on top of it. Yeah. And it came with a subscription to like Amazon Kids, which had a ton of free books, a ton of free videos and movies. And it was like $70. It was just something insane. Anyway, that is. Uh, ridiculous telly i was just thinking of the the arpu right we were saying i think the number that we've used is how hulu who by far has the highest ad arpu it wasn't it something something close to like ten dollars a month yeah because even without arpu these guys could make back the tv in what three years that is assuming a number of ads and i would imagine again to your point They are betting on being able to get higher CPMs or higher whatever. So maybe that lower bar always showing you something. Uh, But it doesn't sound crazy. That's
0: where where this gets crazy. That's where this does... Like, it doesn't sound crazy. Like, I could see the economics working out. But I just don't buy the marketplace for this. Because, so, they will actually just show you ads pretty much all the time. Even if you're, like, not watching anything. Sure. Like they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna play video ads necessarily, but they will like have static ads. And to me, it's there's a lot of unknowns here. So I'm assuming they're only taking, they're only getting paid by advertisers for any ad inventory that is displayed on device outside of like a streaming experience. I'm assuming that they're not like getting something from Amazon off of like a ad that's shown on it. There's no way they could make that work. Right now. So, I imagine it's pretty small inventory. It requires a lot of people to sign up in order to be a large enough audience for them. I'm assuming that they do get, like, hyper-specific with tar- targeting, so they say. But do they actually have that targeting capability? Or are they just telling advertisers they do, right? Like Yes. Based on every ad-supported streaming service we've seen launched in the last decade, for the most part, like... Yeah. not... I don't have a lot of confidence there.
1: No, exactly. And that's also where my mind was going, which was two two things that get connected uh, at the end. One was, why had nobody done this? Or who could be good to do this? And also on the other side, what is what are these what is this guy's plan? And I think it's to be acquired by someone that has experience doing a DSP, right? That they have an, an ad server and they're good at serving and, tar- and targeting. Who comes to mind to me? I mean, this is very natural, and maybe that makes them a not nice situation, but, like, who has a DSP, knows a lot about hardware, and has their own content?
0: Uh, Roku?
1: Roku. Yeah. Right?
0: Did they get their cash back from the Silicon Valley Bank crash? They, <laughs> can they afford that? Know. That's a good question. <laughs> Sorry. But, no, no. But but, uh, it, totally. Yeah, even if it it's not a merger,
1: the- or, or, like, why not them? It's like, should They should be partnering with someone like that on the back end. It doesn't seem like a capability you want to build yourself, especially not where you're starting. I guess if you're a Roku, there's probably not the right time to be thinking about this. When they're trying to get so much of their kind of core services on track. But...
0: Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting... The economics aren't insane here, which I'm shocked to be saying this about this TV, right? This has, on its face, everything we hate in a media or technology startup there. Yeah. But it's somebody with a background in this industry, in terms of the ad side, or at least Avon, or linear side. It's, on its face, like, I don't know, they just ripped off Apple's design language for the ads. Looks good. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like. Overall, it, there's a lot of unknowns, including the hardware. We haven't even talked about, like, is this thing going to actually run? Is this going to work very well? Or are you going to see, like, the same ad for cho- Sonic tater tots on every <laughs> single piece of content you watch for two weeks, right? Like, that could be very well what happens here.
1: Yeah. And and that's also what I was thinking, like, to your point. Like, something that made it smell right to me is that this is not a movie pass. Oh, I'm going to do something with the data. Right, like you said, there there is a pretty direct path to them starting to make money, as soon as somebody gets a table, a, a table, at TV, right? Just start selling ads. They might not be the most targeted. They might not be the, whatever. At the same time, Hulu, who makes the highest ARPU, they're terrible at targeting. I think I've told you seven times, but like totally. every single ad break, I get a Liberty Mutual ad when I already have my insurance with Liberty Mutual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like just insane levels of bad targeting to get to ten dollars. I mean. Unfortunately,
0: what's happening is the last time you went to Liberty Mutual to check on your insurance, or pay my, the yeah. Pixel fired, and now you're getting retargeted to get insurance because they don't know any better and they don't actually pass along your identity. Yeah. Don't you love this post-cookies world? It's so great. It's my, it's my, it's my job, basically, now. I, I know. I know. Uh, okay. One other thing I want to highlight about the economics of this, and then let's move on, is... I will say that this is a category of device where I think most people think they're getting a better deal than they are, which is great for this business. Because overall, TVs aren't that expensive. Like If you look at any consumer price index chart, anything that gets floated around every time there's an economic crisis. TVs are the one good that has continually gone down relative to inflation drastically over the last 30 years. Everything else has skyrocketed. You don't want to look at healthcare. Mm-hmm. And with that, that means that like you can go buy a good enough TV like not even refurbished for less than $300 these these days. If you really just want the bare bones, something in the saddest studio apartment in the world, you can get it for less than 150 Like TVs are very affordable, even a 55-inch TV. And you know this is not going to be like top of the line spec-wise. So yeah. that said, it is something where it's good for this. It's good for this company because a lo- I think a lot of people f- still think of them as expensive devices, especially because they're ones you don't buy that often. So it's annoying to have to buy it. So to get a new TV... Especially if you're price more price conscious that's actually like something that i think a lot of people will bite on and it doesn't feel ludicrous and it doesn't feel lu- ludicrous financially on the other side because they're so cheap to make and you know that there are 10 different ch- factories in then that can frankenstein this stuff together like perfect yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah and i guess to start the reason why no one bigger is doing it because everyone bigger really needs margins right and these guys are If I get a 3% margin in year two, that's pretty good. I'm profitable as a startup. That's just probably what they need to do and prove it and do it. But, like, if you and I did this full time and we had an office like Marquise Brownlee, we would probably get this TV.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's... And this, But this doesn't seem like something, like, I'm kind of perversely interested in signing up, like, from a MoviePass perspective of LOL reporting, but also just kind of...
1: Cover it with the, the sheet, the
0: camera, yeah. every night when you go to sleep. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to painter tape it, you know?
1: Yeah. Let's follow it along. What, this what might if become...
0: facial recognition to work? <laughs> yeah, well, you <laughs> I grew,
1: You grew a mustache. It's not going to recognize you now.
0: My face ID actually has been messing up whenever <laughs> I, like am wearing sunglasses and a bike helmet and have a mustache, it doesn't recognize me. I don't know how, why. If Apple doesn't get you,
1: I will tell you. But hey, this might become in a couple of months, we might have a telly telly.
0: A telly yeah. telly? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, Maybe MoviePass, maybe their magical data strategy can fit in here somehow. often Or Showtime's po- powered by MoviePass. Movie telly. Movie, movie movie telly yeah. uh, <laughs> fun. okay so let's breeze through disney here because there's box office stuff that's interesting and there is the eternal debate that always comes up on this show the hulu disney thing so okay first of all guardians doing very well especially relative to the mcu recently
1: yeah guardians just had this a mouthful the second largest second weekend ever in mcu history so you and i usually talk about percentage wise how much does a movie drop between first and second week which usually is just the metric that we can actually follow to be like is this going to have any sort of legs and does this have any sort of good quality slash um, word of mouth guardians dropped only quote unquote 49 from uh, weekend one which is extremely impressive for these days, um, but also in absolute terms, 60 a little bit more than $60 million as a second weekend, which uh, not many companies... Well, I, we should start bringing in percentiles. Like, what percentile do you think it would be a $60 million opening weekend? It's probably still like a
0: 10 percentile movie, if this was the probably. first. I'm now I'm just sitting here thinking, like, should we just have, like, a comps spreadsheet ready to go? So where we just have, like, it populated with, you know, major franchises and box office numbers. And then we just type in a uh, return and it tells us what's going on. I that think so, but I, th-
1: I think we'll have to go very <laughs> detailed to, like, baseball level. Where we know, like, oh, this is the third largest May 12th to May 14th 2nd MCU when it rained in the southeast but Nevada's weather was over 75 degrees all weekend. You know, like, like this type of like super incredibly detailed.
0: I feel like this is how the numbers got started because somebody was just doing this with, with box office mojo numbers and then accidentally created <laughs> <their laughs> a repository. Anyway, back to the topic. We've been very tangenty today, but I've been having fun. Um, I think, I mean, it's a lot of people seem to agree with you from last week that the emotional core of the movie works really positive reviews across the board uh, for most people. So I think this is something where this does not dissuade me from thinking that there's superhero fatigue left and right. It also is pretty concerning to the MCU that their most popular film in years is directed by the head of the most major competitor now. Like that's not really great for them. But I I do I'm it's it's cool. It's interesting to see and uh yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Not only yeah, he's not only leaving, he's going to the biggest competitor. Yeah, he's running he's making the creative he's the Kevin Feige of the other <laughs> studio now. That is so wild. Little. They really messed up there.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um you're still not gonna watch it in the movies, right? No. Okay.
0: I probably just won't ever watch it. I'm sorry. No,
1: that's okay. The second, the second thing that we we'll, like you mentioned will will breeze through. Um, Hulu. Who knows what's gonna happen? But there was an announcement this week that you are now gonna be able to access Hulu from Disney Plus. Oh wait, Tan. Does that mean they're combining the services? Hell no. If you subscribe to both, you're gonna have a tile of Hulu. In Disney Plus, so you can avoid clicking two more times to changing up.
0: And I'm sarcastically giving a thumbs up to the camera. If I was Bob Iger, being like,
1: everyone, be excited. Yay.
0: But you can also just watch it on Hulu still. And I don't think you can watch Hulu content on, or Disney content on Hulu, right? I think both of those are correct. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. But for real, like, somebody just can't crunched the numbers here and said, hmm, there's so much friction of people choosing content that if they leave the app to go to a different app, they might not open our app. So therefore, we should have them stick around in our ecosystem while also still not making a decision about what we want to do here. Like, this is the months they're spending on building this feature behind the scenes to make it work probably are worth it in some financial model somewhere, but there's no way they're worth it on the time horizon that Hulu probably won't exist on.
1: Broadly, exactly. And broadly, it's just like, what decision power has NBCU over this? Like, Disney completely owns everything. They own decision making, they own the ads. I still don't understand what the out is. I mean, maybe. Again, this I'm, is I'm not the, a lawyer. There is, it's truly something weird, but like.
0: Maybe this is your grand conspiracy theory, right? That like they can't sell it because it looks like they're. Or they can't shut it down because it looks like they're destroying a valuable asset when they're not. Like maybe that's how you prove that it's not a valuable asset by saying, oh, well, we did this and more people are watching it on here and it's a better experience and now we can shut it down. Yay. Like maybe it is. That difficult to convince the powers that be and the shareholders, or they think it will be that difficult, that they're just not even bothering with it. And maybe there's some, like we were just talking the other day about how it'd be wonderful to read like an oral history of go.com, what Mm -hmm. the like AOL ripoff slash competitor that Disney purchased that all of their public facing internet still runs on. (laughs) Yeah. Like not not Disney Plus or Hulu, but like if you go to buy parks tickets, you get rerouted through a bunch of go.com links. The what like the page tree has to make zero sense on these sites. So with that I could see there being some weird technical reason why Disney's like, "Oh, it would be great to be able to easily showcase other services within this app." So if we ever do this again, we have a like a back-end way of doing that whatever there's a million dumb corporate reasons for this that i could see justifying it but it makes no damn sense
1: i'm just going to lean into your point to the conspiracy theory and be like they're going to continue to move one yard at a time in three months they're going to say that all the fox studios stuff is going to be in disney plus not in hulu then they're going to drop something else then they're going to drop something else and then in a year they're going to increase the price of the disney plus and espn plus bundle to where it was with hulu and just say You do this without Hulu, and you can get the stuff Hulu has here. If you just want to sign up for Hulu to get the Hulu stuff, you can. If you subscribe to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, you get Hulu stuff in Disney Plus. And then, solid to your point, there's going to be another Wall Street like, well, we ran the numbers, now Hulu is actually worth like a billion. Do you actually want us to buy your part or whatever? And there seems to be a minimum thing in the legal fees, but... yeah,
0: I don't know. Yeah, it would be funny if they just tanked to the value of and then we're able to get a good deal on it. Could you imagine? It doesn't sound legal. Alright, so I have an AUA for you. Okay. So, it's kind of a belabored AUA. So, something this whole conversation today has made me think about is at the end of Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs biography um jobs like is speaking to him like within the context of the book it's basically his deathbed in real life who knows when this was right but there's a so jobs kind of says like what the thing that he's working on that he's thinking about a lot these days as he's dying maybe metaphorically i'd like to create an integrated television set that is completely easy to use it would be seamlessly synced with all your devices and with icloud No longer would users have to fiddle with complex remotes for DVD players and cable channels. It will have the simplest user interface you could imagine. I finally cracked it. Okay. That's the context. That is RIP, Steve Jobs, Great Orator. Like the one line that's clunky in there is just Isaacson's prose. Uh, Is there any world in which Steve Jobs could have cracked television? Is my AUA. Based on that description.
1: I think he, I don't know about Cracked, like, there is different ways to think about television. I think going back to our conversation at the beginning of the WGA and the studios, just like he cracked, quote-unquote, music mm-hmm. with iTunes, and he kind of bullied with Hutzpa his way into albums are going to kind of stop existing as a economic thing. Yeah. That was just a marketing thing. And because now we're going to do things like this, and how we started doing it with TV episodes at the beginning, right? Yeah. I do wonder where a lot of this push would come from. Like WGA, or like some of these things in a good way, of like, content can be different. And with some of these type of creative things, it's different because at the end of the day, he and Apple never actually made music. With totally. Now with TV, they are doing TV. And just thinking about how... Do we create different ways for these types of things to exist? I think something that is different, of course, is that T V really hasn't changed as much in the sense yeah. of right for a mu- for music it evolved to be like, Yeah, you can have it in your pocket with a walkman, but it's still kind of, you know. I don't know. It, it felt similar in the way that it's consumed. With the TV, the need for a screen and the need for undivided attention seems to be still kind of at the core of everything. Mm-hmm. And that feels limiting in some perspectives. It seems limiting in the way that you can only be watching one thing at a time. That is significantly more expensive to make. And at the end of the day, if I ask you right now, what song would you be happy to listen right now? You could probably tell me like 200 songs. If I tell you what would you be willing to watch today, you would probably tell me four things. So I don't know. There is like some just some of these very foundational things of what does it mean to be TV, even if it's just competing versus a YouTube or a TikTok or what it is as a content but i I still feel I still feel like there is just something there that I don't know where the next true innovation is gonna come from right is it truly a different type of show is it a different type of setting is it a we need a like a movie theater for TV is there like a I have no idea but I am hungry to identify what that is
0: what about you Well, I will say that you did a great job answering a question, which was essentially, do you think Steve Jobs could have done it? (laughs) Which is, why would you bet against him? But also, like, I 100% agree with you. Um, I also asked that question because we're sitting here. Three weeks from now, we will be recording an episode about an Apple press event. You know, like, there's no way that you and I are going to report on a Monday night after WWDC about a VR AR headset.
1: We are going to talk about something else. Because three weeks from now, we're going to be debriefing about our trip to Disney. But
0: I know. I know. It is immediately after. It is the Monday we get back or the Tuesday we get back. Yeah. But there's no way. Like, it is. They are launching a mixed reality headset of some kind. They are about to try and do something they haven't tried to do in a decade. Like, the watch was kind of a weird, slow start of a product. The watch is very similar to the Apple TV in that they both were kind of niche devices, still are kind of niche devices, and eventually found their place, but haven't quite found their place. So, I think that if you look at the Apple TV as it started in its infancy, it was just like a a big iPod, right? Which... There, sure. to your point like there's not a lot of vi- there was not a lot of great video content or formatting or the markets didn't make sense when that first launched and Apple doesn't own enough of that market and dominate and control it in a way that it would make sense in terms of the per- beautiful perfect Steve Jobs vision today and i think that there i mean we look at the late 2000s like towards the end of Steve Jobs's life Apple was having horrific services launches left and right that defined, I think, an era of Apple that was complicated by him dying and they really didn't come out of for a few years. One that was also very creator hostile in terms of like the computers and software they were making for a bit too. So I don't think that Steve Jobs at that era of his life could have made it work. And part of it's his fault. And part of it is economic forces just... Not being the same as the music industry and or as easy to disrupt, I think you're 100 right there. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see if they are creating. Let's face it, they're creating a content category from scratch. I just just now, as I'm talking, figured out that that's probably why Final Cut and Logic are coming to the iPad because they want to make it easier for people to create content for these devices. Anyway, like they are creating a new content category from scratch here, and it'll be interesting to see if they can pull that off because, yeah, very few people can. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Before I ask you, UA, I was also reflecting on my answer like Netflix and streaming, and just the ability to let people choose exactly what they want to do and move kind of the distribution from you can be watching 30 things, whatever the 30 channels were, yeah. to you can choose whatever from a content a million like it is innovation I think it's technology driven innovation of like well yeah we can host it and it can be done it's not that much of a I don't know if a, I don't know if the word is like value or creative version of innovation right. but yeah um very quick away for you because we need to do a Twitter Twitter sorry I'm back to finishing in a I don't know if we're gonna finish in a download. What was your reaction to Twitter announcing that Linda Yacarino, the NBC Universal ad sales vice president is taking over as CEO.
0: Well, she reports to the board, right? And the <laughs> yes. board is headed by who? Uh, Elon. Okay. And she's but she's also is the person above the Person making all the technology decisions. Who was also who is Elon Musk. Right. So, what happens if the person making the technology decisions disagrees with the CEO? Uh, he's gonna get blast. She's gonna get blasted into space in a
1: rocket ship. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, and also by it. the same person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that I feel like for everyone was like, "Oh yeah, this makes the most sense" because the the biggest problem is that they need to get the confidence back of the advertisers, and I'm like exactly your reaction just like how does this help like anyone that stops and stares at this for more than a millisecond is going to be like uh what to, to, what is going to change to
0: their point she is a seasoned advertising executive like she has worked with these things all in all they're absolutely right that she is the sort of person you should bring on but he as, should an not S- be-
1: as an svp of sales
0: I have no issue with him being the head of the board. I mean, I do, but, like, that's kind of unavoidable. But he shouldn't be the chairman of the board and the CTO. Also, he shouldn't be the CTO because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, clearly, based off of every single thing we've read from any engineer who was at Twitter in the last three months. So, good luck to her. Uh, I'm excited to see this play out. And, okay, over, under, is she going to last longer than Anthony Scaramucci in office? So, I think that was 10 days. Oh, longer. Is she longer okay. I think because
1: so. I think you and I agree that she's playing a very specific role which is a piece the advertisers yes. show there is any sort of piece even if it's just on paper
0: and she probably knows that she's filling that role she probably knows what she's getting into yeah I would hope okay so we're gonna play the music to, as an outro I have one very last like let's talk about succession for two minutes did you watch succession last night yes yes Okay, cool. Okay, so this is kind of an AUA as well that I wanted to ask, but I thought of that Steve Jobs one and was like, wow, that's like a complex, difficult one. So, last night's episode, a lot of people have been reacting with, like, wow, this episode was so shocking and surprising, and like, what a turn for the Roys that they engineered a election. Really?
1: I didn't I didn't see those. I mean, okay, I guess cool. I haven't seen any responses online yet. Right. But
0: but but like your first reaction to hearing that is what is surprising about that? Like, yeah. That just felt like another episode of Succession. It was dramatic and like it is interesting, but it's I'm not surprised that they that played out the way it did at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like to your point, it's dramatic and they bring things to literally the CEO walking into the newsroom and telling someone to say something. But
0: yeah. Yeah. But, but of course they serve their own financial interests. That's what they do. And that's what their dad did. Like it just seems to be such a fundamental misread of what this show is.
1: And they also mentioned at some point, don't they say exactly like, well, dad picked him and they're like, not dad picked him to be the next representative for the Republican parties Dad picked him to be the next president of the U.S.
0: I also think it was just kind of a weaker episode, to be honest. Like, I mean, moments were good, but part of it was like, I Kendall being conflicted about it just didn't work as a character beat, partially because his kids being scared didn't work as a motivation because unfortunately, Kendall Roy has shown that he doesn't really care about his kids. So... I don't know. I just got to add on the episode last night. But who knows? Maybe that's the plan. And I was supposed to be out on it. But oh, cool. Glad you're on the same page that you were not at all shocked by what happened last night in terms of that working for the characters. Yeah,
1: no, not at all. All
0: right, cool. All right. Well, we just uh, recorded much longer than we usually do, but we were having so much fun. Thank you for talking with me and hanging out, Aton. This is fun. So
1: much fun. See you next week for. Potentially our last episode before these neighbors. Woo,
0: woo, woo. And I still can't believe that you called our listeners imaginary people earlier. Uh, they will not forget that.
1: He was he was like the imagineering. They were like imagine Oh, imagineer, imagineers. Okay, thank that you everyone okay. for listening. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week.
0: Imagine are they called it? Are we calling our listeners imagineers? But E A R S. That's a that's Disney. I don't know. Does that pass the Disney legal team muster?
1: Do it without the ears. Just imagine here. Imagine, imagine. These Okay! Thank you, everyone. Sign up so for to green go- key
0: on Patreon. Yeah, and- so
1: this doesn't go up over an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> Alright, bye All right, guys. Bye.